You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. When Dayton Moore took over as general manager of the Kansas City Royals in 2006, the franchise was in the middle of a long stretch of futility. The Royals had not been in postseason play in more than two decades, and the prospects of getting there were not good. Took a little longer than he thought it would, but in 2014, the Royals reached the World Series for the first time since 1985. The next year, they went back to the World Series and won it all. While that was impressive, what was more impressive was how he did it. Moore changed the culture by putting people ahead of production. Production was important, of course, because professional baseball is a results business. There are multiple examples of Moore putting the human being ahead of the ball player. We'll dig into some of those issues in the time ahead. Dayton is now the president of baseball operations, and he is taking time out of his schedule to join us. Dayton, welcome to Sports Connections. Great to be with you, David. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. Uh, I remember the press conference the day you were hired. Uh, As a lifelong Royals fan, I had a sense of excitement because I thought you actually had a chance to accomplish the goals you stated. They, They didn't make sense, but you had confidence that came shining through. Where does that confidence come from? Well, most days, as we know, baseball doesn't make sense, and I'm not sure the everyday (laughs) routine and challenges of life, we can make a whole lot of sense of it until after the fact, right? And um, when we reflect back and we realize the the different challenges and the people that were in our lives, and and, uh, we're grateful for, for so many of those challenges that that molded us and shaped us and, and, uh, and those mentors and those people that came into our life uh, that spoke truth to us, um, encouraged us. And so really to answer your question, um, you know, I've, I've had great mentors uh, my entire life and been really blessed um, to be in some unique and special places. Of course, uh, you know, my mother and my father were um, certainly my heroes uh, that were very hardworking, uh, very loving, supportive. My mother, uh, very tough at times, very demanding. My father, again, always set a great example of the importance of, of working hard, uh, taking multiple jobs if need be uh, to provide for the family. And uh, so I, I grew up with that, that work ethic and that model. And so, uh, and, and I was fortunate that they allowed, uh, you know, uh, me to, to pursue baseball to play baseball and to play sports and and uh and certainly uh baseball was something that uh was very important to me as a young child and i'm i'm thankful that my my parents were able to to nurture that and support me uh in that uh in that love for the game and you know i can't recall a day in my life where i haven't thought or dreamt about this game and so i've just naturally always pursued it uh, of course my faith is is really huge and uh, rely on that daily for for multiple uh, in multiple ways. Uh, primarily, uh, just to, to to keep going and keep pressing forward and and uh, and to forgive daily because, as we all know, um, you know there's there's a lot of different um, naysayers out there, especially in professional sports. Uh, people are always looking at you in a very critical way, uh, and you can. Uh, take that uh, one of two ways. Uh, you can uh, allow it to make you bitter and angry and, and want to you know, fight back all the time, or you can choose to forgive it and give it away 
uh, and stay focused on uh, the things that are important. And, uh, and that's growing closer each day to the things that you love and the people that you love. Uh, the gospels are very clear uh, about that. And um, you know, so my faith is a big part of, of, of how we operate as well. Did you, this is kind of a tough question. Did you ever um, get discouraged? I mean, let's say between 2006 and 2014, there was, there were signs of growth, but there were also a lot of signs that it wasn't working. Did you ever allow yourself to get discouraged or did you just keep that pressing forward attitude the whole time? You know, Dave, that's a great question. And yeah, of course I got discouraged. Um, you know, I had good days and bad days. Um, but I always was reminded that, uh, you know, I'm doing something I love to do. And I reminded, you know, I was reminded constantly that I've been happy in every job I've ever had in baseball. You know, when I was a, a volunteer college coach and then a, then a, a full-time assistant coach and an area scouting supervisor, I was really happy in those jobs. Uh, I was, I loved uh, doing international work and professional scouting and, and being a, a, a development director and overseeing scouting and player development, all the different jobs that I've had in the game, I loved every one of them. And um, so as long as, you know, I'm working in baseball and get an opportunity to be a part of a team and, and um, you know, uh, um, just do the things I love to do, I, I wasn't too concerned about. Uh, I didn't have to be a general manager. The first two opportunities I, I had to even interview, I, I turned down the interviews because I was so focused on what I was doing in scouting and player development. And then the first general manager job position that was was offered um you know we decided to turn that down and, and stay you know in atlanta and so i didn't have to be a general manager and uh, you know this challenge in kansas city was something that we felt was going to be unique and special and of course it was my boyhood team and um i i, I formed a strong connection with mr glass um initially and i just felt um uh close to him even though i had not uh, spent much time with him, but he shared his heart with me and his vision. And, and uh, I was very impressed by that. We connected and I wanted to come here and, and be a part of his team and uh, breathe life back into this fan base and breathe hope uh, into the baseball community and, uh, and build a model organization. And so, you know, that's been very important to us in this journey. Sure. And now you, you mentioned some of your, some of your roles. Did your, diverse background help you as you became a first-time general manager, knowing what the scouts do, knowing what the coaches do, even knowing what the players do, because you played college baseball at, at William & Mary, if I'm not mistaken. Did knowing every aspect George Mason. Of the team, what's that? George, yeah, George Mason. George you're Mason. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right part of the country and, yeah, and, and somebody's Same name. Conference. Sorry Same about team. that. Yeah, that's okay. all right. But did the, did the, the fact that you – pretty much understood every part of the game. Did that help you prepare to be a general manager? Well, you know, one of the things I learned uh, right away, really, uh, no matter how much success you had or who your mentors were and are, uh, there's no way to really prepare for this position. You're doing something new. When I sat in this, this general manager's chair for the very first time, that first year, to two years. I mean, it was moving really, really fast. And, um, you know, I just knew that for us to be successful, we needed to, to focus on the environment, the culture. How can we make this one of the best places 
in all of sports for uh, scouts and coaches and and trainers and everybody associated with baseball operations, a great place for them to work and an unbelievable opportunity for players uh, to come and play and, and uh, reach their ceiling as a baseball player. We knew we had to go to work and connect with, with families all across the country, especially those players that were coming out of high school uh, because we needed to change the perception of what the Royals were about. Uh, and, and so we just, we hired, what we feel was one of the best area scouting staffs in baseball, the, the free agent, uh, uh, our, our amateur scouts rather. And so we could begin to, to get in the homes and the communities and talk about our vision, you know, for the Royals and, and then hire coaches that um, we're going to put players first and do everything they, they could to help players reach their ceiling. And so we, we wanted to create simply Truthfully, an organization, we talked about it a lot, just an organization we'd want our own sons and family to be a part of. So do you want this scout, this particular person, would you want them around your dinner table talking about the Royals? Would you want this coach with your son or your daughter as, as, as they were trying to mold and shape them and, and, uh, and teach them uh, things on the field and off the field, and and uh, and who would you hire in the front office? Do you do you trust them as leaders, and are they going to manage their personal lives and 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 do it so well that people trust in them? And so, you know, to me, David, it's always been about getting a group of people that are compatible and want to work together and believe in each other. And and um, to do that, you have to have leaders in place. They're going to model that behavior. And so that's really what we tried to do. I, I wasn't, I quit focusing on wins and losses after, you know, those first couple of years and just focused on the environment and how could we just make this a great place to work, um, do uh, our, our part uh, to make sure players had every opportunity to reach their ceiling. And then I began to think about, you know, when our time is done here in Kansas City, what do you want said about you? And, and I came to the conclusion that the only thing that I want said about us about is that, you know, we, we did things the very best we could. We treated people with respect. We were kind. Uh, we made the game of baseball and softball better in our community. And hopefully we inspired the next generation of fans. And, and to me, that's what it's all about. And uh, that's what we've tried to do. And uh, of course, we want to win baseball games. We're competitors. We want to we want to win another world championship. We celebrate the fact that, you know, we're the only small market, really. I mean, since 1994, uh, there's been one small market that's won a World Series, let alone been to back to back. And, you know, we set out to, to build a great uh, defensive team year in and year out. And I think since 2011 or 2012, we have more gold glovers than anybody in baseball. We're proud of that. Um, you know, that continues to be a focus of ours. And so, um, you know, we, we've accomplished some things, but, you know, there's a lot more to do. And we're really, really excited about raising this next generation of players and because that, that's what it's all about. You kind of segued into, into my next question, and, and I alluded to this in the introduction. Talk about the approach of putting people first. I can think of two high-profile pitchers in the organization who were basically burned out on baseball. You not only let them walk away from the game, but you encourage them to get themselves right before or even if they ever came back. How risky is that philosophy as a 
baseball organization. I know, you know, you personally, and, and you and I have known each other for uh, 15 years, but I know personally, that's what you want to do. But how risky is that as from a baseball organization to put the person first? I think it was John Maxwell that said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, um, you know, I, I've always kind of stood by that philosophy uh, when I started coaching several years ago. Uh, you know, players at the professional level, they're genetically gifted. Uh, they have special um, skills as an athlete. And, uh, and so what I've learned and what we all know, it's, it's the choices they make off the field that are going to prepare them for their natural gifts to perform consistently on the field at the highest level. And they've got to be really, really focused and really determined. And they've got to be in love with the game if they're going to be successful over 162 games. Baseball is different. It's not like the, some of the other sports where you, you just, you know, it's once a week, you can put everything aside, cast everything away and, and just go focus for three hours or, or some of the other sports that move so quickly and they play three, maybe four times a week, but they're moving so fast and you don't have time to, to think about anything else other than what's happening on the field or the court. Well, baseball, you know, there's a lot of downtime during the game. A nine inning baseball game has a lot of inactivity except for the pitcher and the catcher. You may not get a ball hit to you um, the entire game. And, 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 and so there's a lot of things that, that you can think about and a lot of things that enter your, your mind. And so it's about concentration. It's about focus. It's about commitment and, and, and being able to really lock in, if you will, and, and think ahead. And so if, if players aren't allowed to, aren't able to do that because of outside interferences or things that are going on in their life that are robbing them of their focus on the field, you're better off just, you know, helping them with the, the things that are causing the interference, allowing them to step away, a reset, uh, in some cases, seek professional help um, and come to grips with what they're dealing with so they can get back and maybe find that love again, uh, you know, for the game. Because to, to play this game every single day, you truly have to love it. You have to love competing. You have to love the diversity. You have to love the travel, dealing with all aspects of the media, enjoy and love the fans. Um, I mean, you've got to really embrace all aspects of it. And that's what I love so much about baseball. And so, you know, baseball teams are, are really unique in the sense that, you know, you come to spring training, uh, you'll have 60 to 70 players. They all have different backgrounds economically, uh, different cultures, different races, different religious beliefs, um, you know, just different political views. And then you whittle it down to 26. And again, those, those differences remain. Uh, and then as they play baseball all summer, that's the uniter. That's the commonality, the game of baseball. They, they learn all about each other. They talk about all the things that everybody talks about in their most intimate social circles. The players talk politics, they talk religion, they talk economics, they talk management, they, they talk about all these things. And they become a team. They truly learn to appreciate and love one another based on who they are. Not what they want them to be, but who they are. And I've never been in a clubhouse 
where the last game is played, the season is over, where players aren't hugging each other and tears are shed. They, they become a team. They become a family. And that's the beauty of baseball. And that's one of the things that's always attracted me to this game. Do I love the competition and the strategy? Of course. But I love the other parts of it even more. I love baseball, but I love players more. And I love the people that are committed to this game more than I actually love the game. And I love the game. But those are the things that, that make it special. It's the leadership lessons and the platform that we have to bring people together. And that's the, that's the uniqueness and the specialness of this game. And there's another side of that approach uh, that I'm personally aware of because I've got a friend um, and you and I've talked about him who I, I'm really good friends with his dad who was drafted by the Mets in 2019, I think it was. Um, and it was, it's Luke Ritter and I think he's still with the Mets organization. Um, but, uh, he told me that, that his team did the same thing, but the Royals were the first team when the pandemic hit and it was announced that there would be no minor league baseball. You guys announced right away that you were going to pay your minor leaguers, even if they weren't, even if they didn't play all year, there would be some at the alternate site, but even if they didn't step foot on the field you were going to pay your players. And eventually most teams came around to that. First of all, was there ever any wavering uh, was that? And secondly, how easy was that decision? Well, first of all, we had great support from John Sherman. I mean, as we would have from Mr. Glass as well. I mean, we've had great ownership here. Um, you know, and that's the, that's, that's what makes the Royals, I think, so different is the legacy of ownership from Mr. K to Mr. Glass to, to John Sherman. And, um, and so we had great support there, but it, it never even entered our mind, David, because um, you know what, if you're put in a leadership position uh, and you can't, and you believe 100% that it's the right thing to do and you don't get the necessary support or somebody feels differently about that and we go in a different direction, in my mind, it's time to resign because I've lost the effectiveness to uh, articulate and influence and motivate the powers to be, to support the things that are really foundational uh, and paramount to this game. And the foundation of scouting and player development and minor league players and what this game means to communities all across this country. That's why the game exists. That's the pureness and, and the seed that is planted every single day uh, in this game. And th those, are, those are the seeds. And so there's no way we are going to abandon uh, the people in our organization that were the most vulnerable, the most at risk. Um, and so the other thing I used to think about, and again, you, you talked earlier about the different experiences I had in the game. And so you know, overseeing scouting and player development and being a, a farm director, you know, for many years, it was my job to release players. Uh, and obviously in this job, you release players, but at a different level. And uh, players can always understand that if they don't make a team, because it's just the game's about competition, they've worked their tail off all winter, they come into spring training, they know they have to make a team, uh, and they, they get the note in the locker or the 
uh, invitation to come meet with somebody like me and you set them down and you say, hey, listen, listen, David, you know what? We appreciate you. You've worked your tail off. We're proud of you. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a roster spot. We're going to have to give you your release, but you've handled yourself with class. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll do everything we can to help you going forward. Well, players can understand that. They know that there is an expiration date to their career. Um, but to, to release them after they work their tail off and they come to spring, they, they, don't, they don't even get a chance to come to spring training or they're in spring training and they're sent home and they never get a chance to, to play it out. And we just release you. Hey, look, you know what? This COVID thing, there's no spot. We just got it, you know, whatever. We're going to turn our back on you. Because that's what that's what it was. That's what it was. You can say what you want, but it, it it's it's not my money. It's not my money. It belongs to somebody else. And I've got to be good stewards of that. But the, the, the amount of money that we were talking at the end, of it, it just didn't. Why, why would we why would we plant that seed of bitterness inside the player, the future someone that's going to lay the foundation for our future, who's going to teach baseball and softball in their community, who's going to have sons and daughters, and they're going to have to make a choice. So they're going to put them in football, basketball, lacrosse, or baseball. Why do we want to put a negative seed into the, the hearts of our players who have worked the hardest? But if you really, and if you really understand the evolution of a player and the commitment it takes to be a high school player, a college player, let alone a minor league player or major league player. It takes an unbelievable amount of time and commitment to develop your skills at a level, to play at, at the levels that I mentioned. Just because you run fast, jump higher, stronger than everybody else doesn't mean you're going to be successful in baseball. It takes hours and hours of commitment, a relentlessness on a daily basis to develop your skills to play at a high level. And so we're going to we're, we're going to tell all those players that your commitment and your relentlessness and and your desire to pursue this game that you love it'll matter to us. It, that's how I viewed it when it came to the decision we're going to release players without giving an opportunity to to once again try to make a team. And we and we brought all and we released players, but we brought them all to to our fall camp, and we let them play. And we evaluated them and, and we had to release players, especially with minor league contraction, which is another thing, because if you grow up in this game and you understand, again, the evolution of the player and the commitment it takes to play this game, round reduction in minor league contraction doesn't even enter your mind. There's not one baseball person I've ever spoken to who's a true baseball person that thinks that round reduction in minor league contraction is good for the game of baseball. Nobody. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it wasn't your money. I'm guessing as well as I know you that even if it was your money, you would have made uh, made the same decision. And, and you talked about the fact that it, had, it, it was not it was nothing to do with money. It was just the uh, and it was nothing to do with setting yourself up for later. Did, but did you see any residual effect from that? Maybe undrafted players who signed with the Royals because of the way you treat your players? Well, I, I hopefully we've we've earned uh, a reputation of being patient with players, uh, putting programs in place that are going to uh, 
be able to help them become the best that they can be uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, all the different programs that we have. We care about the whole person. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that, that we've raised a, a lot of players in this game that, uh, you know, that, that yes, yeah, a lot of them played in the major leagues, but majority of them have not. But they're, they're unbelievable fathers and husbands, and they're teaching baseball in their community, their college coaches, their scouts, their uh, professional coaches. They're working in front offices. I mean, we're, we're very, very proud of that. And, um, and so, again, that's the bigger purpose in, in what we do in this game, as I mentioned before. And so, you know, I, I don't know if we've we've just kind of done things the same way, David, since we started doing this, since we were, you know, I was blessed to start leading departments, you know, when, when I was 27, 28 years old. And uh, again, I had great mentors and was given a lot of um, opportunity. And, and I've always uh, felt that that was a tremendous blessing. And, um, you know, the only reason you should be in a leadership position is if you're willing to put others first and, and do everything you can to help them reach their goals in life and to be the best that they can be uh, uh, as a person uh, in, in baseball or, or outside of, of, of the game. I mean, that's, and I, I, I really believe that's one of the reasons that, that we've continued to be able to, to stay in a leadership position. So. And a great answer. I, I would love to talk baseball with you. I would love to talk about the currency of baseball and the, and the Royals young pitching the, the excitement of the upcoming season, but we don't have time. And I want to stay on uh, really about talking about your management style. One of the things that uh, is really uh, that I want to talk to you about is the Urban Youth Academy. That was one of your first, um, I don't want to say first ideas, one of the first things that you were able to bring to fruition. Just talk about where that idea came from. Well, you know, we, we have a, a small foundation, uh, seeing the Major Leagues Foundation, and, and one of the things that we were looking to do when we started in 2000 and in, uh, in 12 and in 2013, thinking about how we could uh, purchase some land for a baseball field and, and uh, really come alongside of, of young boys and young girls who were disadvantaged uh, primarily economically where they couldn't afford to play and, and, and how we could help them and introduce the game of baseball and softball to them. Because again, I, I believe that this game provides so many uh, opportunities to grow leaders. I mean, the, the game is just everything that you have to deal with in the game of baseball is just helps prepare you for many aspects of leadership in life. And so that was our, our primary um, uh, vision uh, in doing so. And then I was out in Compton at the, the Urban Youth Academy uh, with the, the, the Dodgers and the Angels uh, helped support. Uh, Daryl Hamilton was overseeing the, the Urban Youth Academies. He was out there. And I asked Daryl, I said, Daryl, why don't we have an Urban Youth Academy in Kansas City? And he said, well, why don't we look at that? And so we just began to um, you know, talk about it. And Mayor James, um, you know, we met with him and he was so excited about it. Uh, he actually came up with where we could, you know, uh, build it right next to the Negro Leagues Museum right there in Parade yeah. Park, which was an awesome idea. And so, you know, a bunch of us, um, Kyle Venna, uh, 
was involved, J.J. Piccolo, uh, Philip Stringer, who was in our office um, as a as a, a baseball operations assistant at the time, was involved. And we just start talking about it and and getting the right people involved. And um, and then when we start, then we go to the World Series in 14, and it really kind of intensified after that. And in 15, it just gained so much momentum and we're able to, to execute and, and um, you know, it's, it's an amazing facility. It's doing great work. Uh, Darwin Penny and Jeff Diskin uh, are doing an amazing job and leading there day in and day out. It's tough work. It's hard work. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but they're, they're doing tremendous, a tremendous job. Is it meeting your goals? Is it exceeding them? Where, where does it stand? I know you, you, you're not somebody to just say, well, let's try and do this and, and, see where it goes. You've got a plan well, for it. Until, until, until every girl and boy in our community is exposed to baseball and given that choice, whether they want to play baseball or softball, I mean, we haven't reached our goal. I mean, so we, we want to just make sure that every young boy and every young girl gets an opportunity to play baseball or softball, you know, in this community, especially the urban core. We, we want to really try to do everything we can, David, to motivate uh, the the young boys and girls in the urban core uh, to desire to play baseball and softball. We've got our challenges. We got work ahead of us. Um, but the only thing we can do is go out there every single day and, and try to set the example and and um, you know just expose those young boys and young girls to the game. And we've got a great facility to do that. We have people on the ground that are working hard every single day. We also know that the youth sports domain, if you will, is one of the most dysfunctional um, aspects of our society. I mean, youth sports and sports in general, I mean, can be very, very difficult and very challenging under the best of circumstances. And so it's it's tough work. Um, but if we're helping just a few kids a year, that's it, it's all it's all going to be worth it. Yeah. Um, and you talked about almost every question you've talked about somebody who works with you and for you. Um, and how they're playing such a key role. I want to talk about the loyalty in the Royal system. I think it's amazing how many people in the front office have been here for a long time. How much credit will you allow yourself to take for that? Because obviously the leadership comes from the top. You obviously have to be one of the reasons people want to stick around. Just talk about that loyalty. Well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, honestly, I, you, you say, I mean, there's, We've we've just got we just got a group of people that love baseball. They love the Kansas City community, and and uh, you know I've realized a long time ago the reason I get to sit in this chair today and stay in this game is because people around me have helped me. I've had bad months, I've had bad years, uh, and the reason I continue to get to do this job is because the people around me, when I've had bad months and bad years, they've had great months and great years. And so it's a team and, and all of our success is tied together. And so, you know, the it, it's a family. It really is. And so the, the same things that make a, a, a family thrive uh, and be harmonious and successful are the same uh, character traits and ingredients that make a, a team thrive and successful in a front office. And, you know, the world oftentimes will judge a team based on wins and losses. And, and, and I understand that, but every team is special, whether they win a hundred games or lose a hundred games. I mean, for a lot of the reasons that I talked about before about the unity that, that takes place along that journey 
is what makes a, a team very special. And, you know, we've always believed in people. We've stayed with people. Uh, as I said before, I think, com I think compatibility trumps competence every single day. You got to get a group of people that love, want to love, want to work for one another, sacrifice for one another, compete for one another. And when you get a group of people that are willing to do all those things, I think you have a chance to keep the group together for a greater period of time because everybody's looking out uh, for each other and uh, and picking them up when they have you know those those down times. And you know we live in a society today where it seems that we enjoy. Uh, and, and celebrate the um, the poor performance or the lack of success that, that others have instead of their great performance and genuinely learn to celebrate their successes. We like to kick people when they're down. We've always just tried to do the opposite. And so players don't need you unless they're struggling. Coaches and teachers and family members and your colleagues and your fellow citizens, they don't really need you unless they're having a bad day. And you, you got to want to, you got to want to be able to encourage them and lift them up and uh, um, give them hope, uh, go out of your way above and beyond type attitude to help them. And when you do that, uh, that's how you, you form a good family and that's how you form a good team and uh, you don't kick people when they're down and you don't judge other people. It's not your responsibility to do that. You always speak truth, but in a positive and encouraging way. Um, and um, you give people hope. We've all made mistakes, uh, whether they've been exposed on this earth or not. We all make them. And, uh, you know, be thankful that we've had people come along in our own lives and not judge us too severely where uh, we haven't been able to, to, to overcome it and move forward and continue to, to try to do better and, and do the things that we love to do. It, you know, I, could, I almost could have forgotten that I asked the question about your front office and, and your, you know, the structure of the team. You could have answered that question exactly the same with talking about the pitchers and catchers and infielders and outfielders and your coaching staff. It's the philosophy is the same regardless of the position. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier, because you're putting the person first. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, again, I think that's why you're in a leadership position. Yeah. I mean, Dr. King said it, he said, power without love is reckless and abusive. And so if you're in a leadership position and you, you have power, you have a certain amount of authority and you, you can't put the other person first, and, and generally love them and care for them and put them first. Not easy to do. I fail. I failed uh, in that aspect at times. Um, but if you if you can't put them first, then I don't think you deserve the privilege to lead. And you will get exposed eventually. You will get exposed. And um, and so look, players don't exist for coaches. Coaches exist to help players. Parents exist to help their children. Teachers exist to help their students. People in leadership positions exist to help their fellow employees get better and reach their ceiling. That's why you're there. Politicians exist to help their community. It's not the other way around. And for some reason, we're losing kind of the, the meaning of, of what, what it's all about. 
And so, um, you know, my father used to tell me from time to time, son, I love you, but I'm not sure I like you at times, but I love you. And, um, and you've got you've to be willing to put your relationship on the line, but in a loving and encouraging and thoughtful way, in an uplifting way. Because when you, when you encourage people through your words and your actions, that's how you motivate them. And then when you, when you stand up for them, when they're having a bad day or they're going through a bad time in their life and you stand up for them, again, in a positive, encouraging and a truthful way, you give them that grace and you motivate them and you change them. And that's, that's what a, a leader is, is supposed to do. That's what a teacher is supposed to do. And, and you don't have to have um, all this head knowledge. You just have to have a lot of heart knowledge. Yeah. And we're running out of time here. I do appreciate your time. I do want to ask you just from a personal side and put all the, you know, I know you can't put the relationship stuff aside, but from a wins and losses perspective, how much fun did you have in 2014 and 2015? You know, I wish I would have had more fun, David. That's one of the things that um, I want to do a better job this next time. I want to enjoy it a lot more. Um, you know, I was tired. Uh, I was uh, very few days. I didn't have a headache uh, because of the stress of the environment and the desire to compete and to win. And, you know, I knew we had a small window of opportunity. I knew we weren't going to be able to sign a lot of these guys to long-term contracts right. based on our market. Uh, I knew we had that small window. And, uh, and so you wanted to take advantage of it. And, you know, being in Atlanta all those years, I knew how difficult it was to win. Mm-hmm. We had a chance to win every single year. And a lot of, a lot of years we fell short. Um, it was just, it's just difficult to win it all. A lot has to go right. And so, um, but in reflection, I mean, I'm, I'm, it becomes more and more meaningful, truthfully, yeah. as the days go on and you reflect back. And, and you do realize how difficult it was and a lot of things have to, to go right, as I mentioned. Um, but I want to enjoy, enjoy it uh, much more. But I'm enjoying it now. I'm enjoying this journey. You know, we, we've had some opportunities, especially after 15 and 16 and 17, to move on uh, and, and go other places in baseball or outside of baseball and do different things. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But one of the things that is, is kept us here is um, uh, we love this community um, and we want to continue to raise the next generation of players. It doesn't matter where you do it because we're, we're growing leaders for the future. And uh, there's no better place to do it right here in Kansas City uh, with uh, this great community and an owner in John Sherman that truly understands the, the importance of this team in the community and, and what our heart is and, and our leadership style. And he's allowing us to do the things that we love to do. I'm going to ask you a tough question. You're, you're still a young man. How long do you see yourself doing what you're doing? Well, um, we'll, we'll see. I, I try not to, you know, wherever God wants us to be, I mean, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever his will is for us is, is where, where I want to be. Uh, if, if it's up to me, I'm going to stay in baseball forever. Um, I have a deep love for the game, but a deeper love for players. 
and the people that work in it. And so as long as I get to be in a leadership position, uh, you can do some really impactful things to help people. The, the, the greatest, the greatest part of this job, truthfully, is at seven o'clock, I get a really good seat. And then the other thing to watch the game. And then the other thing is um, you, you get a chance to help a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the most rewarding part of, of what we do. And uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I mean, I, I come from a, a very blue collar type family I, and I was the first person on either side of my family ever to, to, uh, to graduate from college. And um, you know, I feel really blessed with all the mentors that I've had and the opportunities that, that I've been given. And I feel a great uh, sense of urgency to continue to, to give back and to help the next generation and to share the things that I've learned. And so I don't have to do it in baseball. I can do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, as long as I'm doing that, uh, I feel like that's where, where God wants us to be. I always like to wrap up my interviews with two, two things. First of all, give you a chance to talk about your family. And I'm wondering if if uh, one of those draft picks that you're going to get is going to be your son, Robert. Uh, but just talk about your family and what they mean to you. Well, you know, we just, Marianne and I just returned from Panama. Our, our oldest daughter, Ashley's on the mission field there full time. She's just an incredible girl using her gifts uh, to help people and um, just doing wonderful things. And Avery Jane, our middle, she's graduating at, uh, she's a senior at K-State. She went to New York for a couple of years to, pursue dance and, and, and decided to step back from that world. And, um, she's finishing up at K-State and she's an amazing, amazing leader, great personality. Marianne and I have so much fun with her. And then our son, Robert, uh, he's a, a sophomore at, uh, University of Arkansas. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just, um, he's a special kid. I mean, just loves to, he loves the Lord. Uh, he's very outspoken about his faith and, um, you know, he's doing something he loves to do. We're really proud of him and, and excited for all their futures. But, you know, Matthew West said it the best, I think. Uh, Matthew West, singer, songwriter, uh, musician, um, author. He said, life's more fulfilling when you become a character in somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Marianne and I are just trying to be a character in their stories and a root, root for them and be there for them and support them. And, and, uh, I find myself, uh, as each day goes forward, life is more fulfilling when you become a character in somebody else's story and how you can help them along the way. And I don't normally do this, but with your role, uh, give me the scouting report on, uh, the sophomore at Arkansas who had a great freshman year. Yeah. You know, Robert, um, um, I can look at it pretty objectively because I'm not attached to his success. I mean, whether he makes it to the major leagues or, or, or he, I mean, has, if he, if he called me today and walked away from the game and wanted to pursue something else he loved, I'd be very excited for him. I know the end game with this. Uh, it's a minor miracle to play in the major leagues. Um, you've got a small window of opportunity, but he has, he has some unique skills um, defensively, offensively. He's a, He's a switch hitter. Um, you know, he's for an undersized player. And I think his size is actually a gift. You know, he's about 5'9", 170, 175. And he can really turn the ball around from both sides. I and mean, he can really impact the ball. And um, he transfers the ball in the double play is 
really at a, a very elite level. Um, but his his toughness and his desire to compete and to win is really what separates him more than anything else. And it's just because he, he loves the game so much. He loves to win and he loves to compete and he loves being in the moment. And uh, he's just fun to watch. And, um, you know, it's uh, when you love your children as much as we do and they happen to love something that you also love. I mean, it just really makes it more special. Um, and I always like to wrap this up and with, with the question, what's your legacy? And you kind of answered that question early on from a baseball standpoint. So I'm going to ask you personally, what's your legacy? Well, you know, I just want whenever, whenever I breathe my last breath, I just want, you know, my, my children and, and Marianne to know, that um, we just we tried to pursue God in everything that we did. Uh, we were transparent about, you know, the, our mistakes, uh, and we gave everybody the best we had uh, because I believe that Jesus has given us everything that He's had, and so we're just trying to return return that and live life with that attitude and that sense of urgency, and uh, just give our best every single day, and that's all we've tried to do. All right. Well, to me, four of the most beautiful words in the English language when put together in order are pitchers and catchers report. So I look forward <laughs> to spring training. Uh, I don't know that I'll have a chance to get down there, but I look forward to the start of the season, seeing you out on the ball field. Uh, Dayton, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join us. Thanks, David. Appreciate uh, the classy way you handle yourself every day. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.